Good to be together, good to sing together, good to pray together. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that. We'll open together to Luke chapter 1. Uh, being a parent, one of the many things that I love doing and did this a lot more when our kids were younger is reading out loud to them. Just really enjoyed that. I actually, I mean, sort of enjoyed the picture book stage, but those books, I mean, you could all, like literally sometimes I'm falling asleep and still able to read the book because I've read the same book uh, so many times. Uh, but also, really liked the stage of moving on to reading chapter books. And, and there's this thing I really loved about reading those chapter books as I'm reading those books to my kids, and you get to a part where you're like, you're coming up to the end of a chapter, and the author just leaves you hanging. And I love that, where they're like, no, keep reading. As I reach for the bookmark, put it in and shut the book, and I just smile like, no, we got to know what happens next. Like, keep reading. I love that. And we've been going through the gospel according to Luke, and Luke has been building anticipation for some time now. And, and it's always this point where like, well, no, don't stop now. Just keep going. We're still in chapter one. It's taken like five weeks to get through chapter one. Luke began with this very purposeful prologue, and that was followed by the angel Gabriel coming to an old man. He and his wife had been praying that they might have kids. Now they're too old, and yet the angel tells Zechariah, you will have a son. And so they're about, they're about to have a baby. And then six months later, the angel Gabriel goes not to an old man, but to a young woman yet unmarried and still a virgin, and tells her she will conceive and give birth to a son. And just like the son that was going to be born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, this wasn't going to be just any baby. Same thing for this young virgin Mary. This baby to be born to you is not going to be just any baby. So anticipation is building. Who are these two babies going to be? Right? And then last week we saw these two pregnant women come and spend a little bit of time together. It's Mary's first trimester. The journey was 70 plus miles that she made. Mary's first trimester and, and Elizabeth's third trimester are spent together. As these two pregnant women spend time together, what we saw last week was the result was humble joy and scripture-saturated rejoicing. That's what happened when these two were together. So we've been waiting for these babies to be born. We've been waiting like two or three weeks Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary had been waiting for nine months, and God's people had been waiting for hundreds of years as anticipation builds and things go up and down, but they're just waiting for God to send the one who he promised to send, and we're waiting as well. So today, we're going to finish Luke chapter 1. And one of the babies is going to be born. There's two babies to be born, but one is going to be born here at the end of chapter 1. And we're going to see that as God's promises are being fulfilled, there is rejoicing, wonder, and praise as even greater anticipation builds for what God is yet to do. What happens next? It's going to be good. We've got to keep reading. So let's, if you're able, please stand as we read the very word of God. I'm going to pray first, and then we'll read Luke 1, 57 to 80. Father, uh, we need your help again, uh, even as Bob has just prayed, so I pray as well that you would help us. You, by your Spirit, 
would work in us, that you would work in me, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, and that you would work in us, causing our hearts to be good soil, that the word as it gets planted might grow and bear fruit. Only you can make that happen, so I pray that you would now, for the sake of your name and in your name, Jesus, amen. God's word from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57, says this, Now, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. You can be seated. All right, so inside your bulletin, sermon notes, life group guide. I encourage you to use that if it's helpful for you to take notes. So, We have been waiting for this, anticipating this. The angel said a baby was going to be born. The angel said the baby should be named John, and we finally get to it here in verses 57 and 58. And did you notice as I read it that when the baby is born, the time came for her, Elizabeth, to give birth, and she bore a son, it says in verse 57. And then in verse 58, we see that that the party comes, right? Neighbors and relatives come to rejoice with them. Why are they rejoicing? They're rejoicing in the mercy of God. God has clearly been at work because they had lived life with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And everybody else was having kids, and they weren't having kids. They were praying, and God didn't seem to be answering. And now they're old, and everybody had given up hope. But they saw Elizabeth. She's pregnant. Something's going on here. They didn't hear anything from Zechariah because he had been made mute because he didn't believe that it would actually happen. And so the angel told him, you're not going to be able to speak, right? So, so everybody's watching this happen. And when the baby is finally born, the people all get together and there is 
great rejoicing. God is certainly up to something as this old woman gives birth to a baby. It's indeed a happy birthday, right? But then we get to this, this section in verses 59 to 66 where he is named. They're, they're doing what a good Jewish family would do. They are taking him to be circumcised on the eighth day, and the naming goes along with that. And everybody's assumption is, well, this baby is going to be named a family name because that's what was done at that time. My name is Jeremy Philip Nelson. My dad's name, who's here today, is Philip John Nelson II. That's because his dad's name, he's the oldest of, of the boys in the family, eight kids in my dad's family. He's the oldest boy, and my grandpa, Philip John Nelson I, determined that he and his wife would name their first son Philip John Nelson II. And that family's expectation, right, Mom, was that I would be Philip John Nelson III, because I'm the oldest in my family, but I'm not. I'm Jeremy Philip. My mom still hasn't end, uh, uh, you know, like heard the end of it yet, right? Uh, but the, the expectation of the people was, this is who he will be. He will be, you know, Zechariah Jr. But the name that the angel had told Zechariah to give to Elizabeth, this baby is to be named John. And so that's what Elizabeth tells the people. No, his name is going to be John. We see that there in verses 59 and following. But then, i got to flip back a page here. But then, they're like, that can't be. They say, none of your relatives is called by this name. And then this is interesting. They're like, well, maybe mom doesn't really get it. So they make signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Now, interestingly, you might read this like, why are they making signs to him? We're told that he became mute. He couldn't talk. You don't have to do sign language to somebody who can't talk, right? You do sign language to someone who also is deaf. So, so what's the deal here? We don't know totally, right? Um, except for... The emphasis is on the fact that he can't talk. But the word used back earlier in chapter 1 is sometimes translated deaf and mute. So either he lost just his voice for these nine months, or he both lost his voice and became deaf. Either way, they're making signs to him and asking him the question, okay, mom, doesn't, mom wants to name him John. What's the deal with that? That's not even anybody in your family's name. And, and he's, give me a tablet, right? So he gets his iPad, and he starts writing in on his iPad, his name is John, right? So his name is John is what he writes, and people are, notice what it says there in verse 63. Verse 63, and he asked for a writing tablet, wrote his name is John, and they all wondered. You see the, the wonder and anticipation growing, like, okay, first of all, this was unusual, that an old couple who couldn't have kids, when they're too old to have kids, now has a child. That's interesting. And, and everybody would expect that you're going to name them a certain thing, but they name them something. Okay, something's going on here. And they all wondered, it says there at the end of verse 63. Then verse 64 tells us, And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. This man who had been unable to speak now for nine months is finally able to speak, and the first thing he's going to use his voice for is blessing or lifting up, praising the Lord. Okay, now it's certain. Old couple having a baby. Baby being named John. 
man who couldn't speak now speaking. God is up to something, and God is present there doing something. So actually, more than just wonder, it says in verse 65, and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts. Okay, So, so this is, th- th- there's this sense that's not just in Zechariah and Elizabeth, but all of the country kind of talking about this. God is up to something here. And the question they ask here is this, what then will this child be? And then Luke adds the comment, for the hand of the Lord was with him. So there's this clear sense of anticipation. Okay, something is going on here. God is up to something. What might it be? Who might this child be? Okay, that's where we're at then as we get through verse 66. But before we see all of this work out, Luke shares with us some prophetic words of the new dad, Zacharias. So remember, Zachariah is dad, and earlier we had found out that, that the baby, John, while still in his mother's womb, would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then remember, when Mary came to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and now we're going to be told that Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. He's about to speak the word of the Lord, and what is it that he says? Well, he begins, the first section is really praising the one who fulfills his promise to save. Verses 68 to 70, he begins this way. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. This is a word of prophecy and it's a word of praise, right? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. What has God done? He has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. One thing I want you to note about this section is we can even see it in the English translation. It is in the past tense. He's talking about what God is about to do, but he is so sure of what God is about to do, he's speaking of it in the past tense. He has visited and redeemed his people, raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. He's just saying, God is faithful. God has said through the prophets of old, Hundreds of years ago, God was saying he was going to raise up a salvation for the house of David. And he is doing that. God is visiting and redeeming his people. God said it. God is doing it. What is this salvation going to look like? Start in verse 71. That we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. Then he goes back to the promise to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, and notice again, being delivered from the hands of our enemies. Let's just pause there for a second and take note of this. When we talk about salvation, we're usually talking about it spiritually, right? That we are sinners in need of a savior. We need to be forgiven of our sin. Here, as he's talking about salvation and prophesying, three times he mentions the hands of our enemies. They're going to be saved physically, right? Saved from the hands of our enemies. We see it in verse 74, and we see it 
twice in verse 71, from our enemies and from all who hate us. Then he goes on, verse 74, uh, that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So he's just pointing out God's covenant with Abraham. That's not something that God has forgotten about. That's something that God is fulfilling ultimately in Christ who is about to come. And notice also that salvation is intended to lead people to serve. Did you, did you catch that? I love this here in verse uh, 74 again. That we being delivered from the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear. De- saved in order to serve. Right? And to do that without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days. He's saying that like this is not just fire insurance. This is not just, oh, so that someday I have eternal life with him and not without him. No, this is a salvation that is to transform our every day that we live and serve, growing in holiness and righteousness all of our days. Okay, So he starts out, remember last week Mary's song started out with this personal praise and then she started to zoom out to the bigger picture? Zechariah is doing the opposite. He's starting with the big picture, and now he's going to start zooming in a little bit closer. So let's watch him zoom in here in verse 76. Now the change is going to be to the future tense as we get to verse 76. Now it's a specific word. I should never say that word in a sermon. I can never say it. Specific uh, word of prophecy about his son, who was just born. Verse 76, and you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Remember, this is what the angel nine months ago had told him, but he wasn't able to say it out loud because he couldn't speak because he didn't believe it at that moment. But now the child is here and he is saying, this is what's going to happen. This son of mine, He is not any ordinary baby. He is going to be prophet of the Most High who will prepare the way for the Lord. That's who this one is. And also verse 77. Here's John's ministry. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. This is what John is coming to do. To give people knowledge of salvation. To let them know you need to be saved and At the heart, at the core of your salvation is the forgiveness of your sins. That's John's message that he is coming to bring. And now his dad at his birth is prophesying this is about, this is what is about to happen in this young boy's life. But then something happens in these last couple of verses, 78 and 79, where all of a sudden the the one he's prophesying about is not his son anymore. He's talking about, remember, there's Two pregnant, well, now there's only one pregnant woman because one baby's been born, but there's one pregnant woman left. And these two are closely tied together. The Lord that John is born to prepare the way for is the Lord who now is in Mary's womb and about to be born. And so that's where the prophecy shifts in verses 78 and 79. Listen to what it says. Because of the tender mercy of of our God. Love that. Because that, that. That's our God. Anybody need a God who has tender mercies? Because of the tender mercy of our God, 
And listen to the beautiful way that he talks about this. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I love that way of talking about the coming Savior. The sunrise shall visit us on high so that those sitting in the shadow of death, those sitting in darkness, will be given light and peace. Have you ever had like a just a long, dark night? You, you've just struggled to sleep. Maybe it's been uh, due to some health problem and your body is just hurting and sore. And you've tried in this position and you've tried in that position and there's no position where you can get comfortable. Maybe it's because of something physical. Maybe it's just like my body's fine, but my head is so, like it is just spinning. High anxiety right now. Like I am just, I'm all like off the rails. I cannot like rein myself in. And so you just lay there all night in the darkness and waiting for something better to come. And there is something very refreshing about the sunrise, isn't there? After a long, dark night, like, well, man, maybe I got another chance now as this new day begins. And I love that, that image that he uses here to talk about the coming Savior, who will give light and who will give peace to those in darkness, those in the shadow of death. The sunrise is coming, right? Waiting for the sunrise. That's what they're doing right now. Anticipation builds. All right, let's get to it. We're waiting for the sunrise. I want to see the sunrise. I've been waiting for a Savior. Again, us for a couple weeks, Zachariah, Elizabeth, Mary for nine months, and God's people for hundreds of years. Been waiting for this moment. Let's read the next chapter, Dad. Well, all we get is this in verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. He was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. All right, come back next week, right? We want to keep reading, but I think it's good sometimes to stop. I'm, please, read the Bible on your own. Go read this next week. You don't have to stop. But I think sometimes it's good to pause and live with wonder and anticipation. Right? Wonder and anticipation of like, oh, what's going to happen next? How's this all going to play out? couple points of application before we take communion, though, because I don't want to just make sure. Like, so, so maybe we understand this a little better, but this is for us, right? God's Word is for us. So, so what, what do we want to do? A couple of things. I could have said more, but here's a couple of quick things. I think one thing I see in this is we want to be people who notice what God is doing and rejoice and wonder. We, we want to be people who notice what God is doing and rejoice and wonder. That's what's happening at the beginning of this. Right? The, the people, the relatives and neighbors of Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're wondering because it's clear that God is up to something and they're taking notice of it. They're rejoicing and they're wondering. I think we ought to do the same. But here's our problem. Maybe it's only my, no it's not. I, I know some of you. This is your problem too. You're busy, like all the time. Right? So, so it's like your life is just thing. Then there's a thing. And then we got a thing after the thing. And then there's another thing after that. We're just busy all the time. And I don't think we often enough pause to recognize God is at work now around us. What might God be doing? We should wonder about that more often than we do. So, I've got in your life group guide, we, I'm not going to spend much time here. I want you to spend time in your life groups this week or on your own if you're not in a life group, walking through these questions. 
What is God doing in me? I've been just, just, just a quick note. I've been, God's been doing things in me lately that have been really, really good for me. Spending a lot more time in prayer. And I've been writing these things that God is doing in me down in a journal. Like I need to stop and pause and, and ask, God, God, what are you doing in me? This is good. What are you doing in me? Maybe you need to ask the question, God, what are you doing in my family? Maybe it's not because things are going good. Maybe things seem to be, you know, just falling apart in your family. Okay, God, I know that you're at work in my family. What are you trying to do in my family right now? You need to just pause, wonder about those things. Rejoice as we see God at work. We need to ask the question, God, what are you doing in our church right now? There's a lot of people. I mean, that's probably evidence of God doing something. But what is it that you're doing in our church right now, God? We want to rejoice and wonder in what God is doing. What, What is God doing in our community? Here's something I've noticed lately. In our own community, I have noticed that there seems to be a lot of people in influential positions in our community uh, who are believers. Uh, maybe God's up to something. What, God, what are you doing in our community? Praise God, we're not the only church preaching the gospel in this community, and God's at work growing other churches that are preaching the gospel in this community. Praise God for that, right? So, so God, what are you doing in our community? God, what are you doing in our nation? A lot of people, you know, gave some attention to things that were happening in Asbury, out in Kentucky for a while, right? Is that, is that a revival? God, are you doing something there? I don't know. We wonder about this. We wonder. We rejoice if we see God at work. What is God doing in our world? You know, we sent out a message this week. Our, our long-term missions partner, uh, Mandy, Roger, she's seen God do some pretty wonderful things. Uh, God had called her very clearly in almost a miraculous way to this, this role, leaving our church here and going to be a missionary for seven years in Romania. And now God is opening up a, a new door for her to serve missionaries around the world from a, a place not there, but here back in the United States. She's saying, God, God what, are, what are you doing around the world? We want to notice and rejoice and wonder. There's a lot going on, and what happens, if you're like me, when you're super busy, you're like, I got a list, my head's down, let's go, right? We, we got to get stuff done. I got to check stuff off, and then I got to move stuff to the next day because I didn't get that done, but it's got to get done. So, like, we're just, we're just doing that all the time, our head down, get to work. More often, we need to pause and just take note of what God is doing in us, around us. Wonder, rejoice. And maybe a final application would be this. Let's remember and praise God for what he has done and will do. Zechariah's prophecy recounts what God has promised and how God has fulfilled and will fulfill his promise. I made that note because you can't not notice it when you're studying the passage. He's talking a lot about salvation from enemies. I don't really think of salvation that way very often, quite frankly. If you're an American Christian, you're pretty secure physically in all sorts of ways. But I think of like our missions partners, Mary Beth and Bio, out in Nigeria, where there's constant threat against their lives. I think of brothers and sisters in Christ around the world under almost constant threat for their faith in Jesus. And they might read a passage like this a little differently from us because they're longing for the day when this is fulfilled, right? They're longing for the day when God will save them from the people who hate them. And that day is coming, right? That day is still coming. Revelation chapter 17, verse 14 says this, they will make war on the Lamb 
and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called chosen and faithful. God will dwell with us, and those who are in Christ will reign with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. We're told this in Revelation 21. These are things that God is yet to do. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is a promise that God is yet to fulfill, and we look forward with longing to that day. But we also look and praise God for what He has already done. And Zechariah points that out. Remember, his son John was to make knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of sins that's at the heart of salvation, right? And so we, as God's people, after John the Baptist and after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, also recognize that we are, we are to be people who recognize that our God is a God who comes to save and to forgive sin. This is a work that he has done. I hope you've heard that message before of how it is that God through his son, saves people from sin, how we can be forgiven. He, in case you haven't heard it, let me just throw up a couple verses on the screen. Okay, 1 Peter three eighteen. If you have heard this, tune in. This is what we rejoice in. This is what our hope is grounded in. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Colossians chapter 1 helps us remember and rejoice in this when it says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Listen, this is where we were. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption. Here's the word again, the forgiveness of sins. This is what we most need. More than anything else, more than physical safety, more than good health, we need to be saved. We need to be forgiven of our sins. And we have that given to us in Christ. Ephesians 1, 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Love the way that, that Luke is building anticipation here. And Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, is able to prophesy and point us to the reality of what for sure is to come. And we can look back and say, yes, Christ has come. And through his perfect life, through his substitutionary death and resurrection, we too can have life and the forgiveness of sins. And we now are people who look ahead with longing waiting for him to come again when all of his promises will be finally and ultimately fulfilled. We look ahead to that. Let's pray. Father, you've done wonderful things and we stand in awe, fearing you, wondering, rejoicing. You're doing wonderful things in us. I know you are, Father. In us, around us, even now. So would you help us to notice this, to pause, to give you thanks? Would you help us to be a church that rejoices with those who rejoice and weeps with those who weep? And Father, thank you for what we are seeing around us. Thank you for what we are not seeing. 
Thank you for work that you are yet to do. Thank you that just as surely as you sent your son one time, you will send him again to bring judgment on the righteous and to bring final salvation and eternal joy to all who are yours by faith. Thank you, Father, that you have saved us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus who shed his blood, that all who trust in him alone might be forgiven. Pray that you would draw to yourself those who remain separated from you and draw near to you those who have been saved. In Jesus' name, amen.